The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. The scripture for today is coming from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Um, you can follow along with the words up on the screen. All right. Inasmuch as many... Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. This is God's word. Please be seated. So we're beginning a new series this morning uh, from the Gospel of Luke. We're calling it uh, Cross and Crown, the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be in it nine months. So uh, put your seatbelts on and just sit back and enjoy it. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, it's kind of interesting, though. Uh, so I, I, if, if you're new here, I preach three out of four Sundays uh, generally, and uh, there's two other guys, Justin and Jonathan, both who are not here this morning. Justin, who's a new father, as Jamin announced, and Jonathan, who uh, just married off his uh, oldest daughter, his second oldest child, and took his wife out for a uh, much-needed weekend together. Um, and but So as I'm approaching, like, trying to us preaching this book, the book of Luke, I'm, I'm excited and I'm intimidated both at the same time. I'm excited, first of all, because uh, the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, is the story of Jesus. And let's just own the fact, like, that's why we're here, right? Um, because the story of Jesus happened. If the story of Jesus didn't happen, then there's no reason for us to be here this morning. If the story of Jesus didn't happen, then there's, then we are incredibly pitiful people who are just wasting our time here gathering in a school gym on a Sunday morning or anywhere that believers are gathering across the world in elaborate cathedrals, in beautiful church buildings, in uh, homes hidden away in uh, places where it's illegal, like wherever Christians are gathering this morning and worshiping and preaching from the word and studying the Bible together, unless the story of Jesus happened, then we're all just wasting our time. But if, if the story of Jesus is true, if the story of Jesus as declared in the New Testament is true, then it has, to say it has far-reaching implications is to undersell it. If the story of Jesus is true, then it has incredibly far-reaching implications, not just in the terms of like religion or the religion of Christianity, it has incredibly far-reaching implications in your life and my life. Because if the story of Jesus is true, then it's the story of the God who created the heavens and the earth, and, the, and things went off kilter, and he sent his son in order to the God-man, 100% God, 100% man at the same time, in order to, to show us who the Father is, and then to die the death that you and I deserved on, on 
personally and to die that death on our behalf for us. If the story of Jesus is true, then it affects every single or should affect every single corner of your life and my life. If the story of Jesus is true, it's the only story that purports to be this, by the way. If the story of some other religions aren't true, then there's still some good things to glean from it. Whether Buddha or, uh, or uh, anybody else did the miracles that are attested to them, uh, it doesn't really matter because their teachings are what guide their religion. But it's not really the teachings of Jesus, though they are the bedrock of who we are, that guide who we are as a religion. It's not the reason that Christianity exists. Christianity exists not because of the teachings of Jesus, but because of the life of Jesus. It's who he was and what he did on your behalf and on my behalf that changes all of history. And is it the number one consideration in your life, whether you're a believer or not? Who he was and what he did, beyond even his teachings, which are amazing, and the book of Luke is full of his teachings. Over half the book of Luke is filled with his teachings. But who he was, the God-man, and what he did as the substitutionary uh, giver of his life on your behalf and my behalf, it's that that affects every part of your life. Because if it's true that he's God, if it's true that he deserves to be the Lord of your life and my life, and if it's true, then any claim that we have on, uh, or any hope that we have, rather, to find joy and to find true meaning in life, and any hope to be able to look towards tomorrow or a hundred years from now with any sort of hope is all based upon him. If it's true, the story of Jesus is true, then it has far-reaching implications for all of civilization. It affects economics. It affects art. It affects culture. It affects politics. It affects ethics. If the story of who Jesus was and what he said and what he did is true, then it should affect and does affect. It has far-reaching implications upon all of civilization, which if you guys are tracking with what I'm saying, then you can understand why this would also be intimidating to me to have to get up and teach over the next nine months. Because there's a lot to talk about here. When, the, when John finished his uh, gospel, the gospel of John, which is the third longest gospel, there's four gospels that begin, uh, if you're uh, not really familiar with it, that's totally fine. The begin the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They talk about the life of Jesus and they share about 60% of the same material between them. They might be organized slightly different. It might bring out different parts of each story, but about 60% of the story is the same. John He's kind of on a, I heard, I heard a guy, a preacher claim one time that, you know, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that's sort of like ABC, NBC, and CBS News. Like, it's all kind of the same news, but it's, it's arranged kind of differently. And John is sort of like the BBC. It's his own thing. It has kind of its own deal going on off to the side, though it is talking about the life of Jesus. Uh, but John, when he finished his gospel, he said, if... 
everything that Jesus said and did were compiled, that he guessed, and he's an eyewitness to everything that happened, by the way. He said he wouldn't think there would be enough volumes, enough books in the world to contain all that Jesus did. There's a lot going on in the life of Jesus. Luke is the longest book in the New Testament, by the way. It's 1,151 verses, if you're keeping count. Uh, it it, it uh, occupies between Luke and Acts, which are sort of, uh, they, they come hand in hand. They're sequels, both by written by Luke. Luke and Acts, we're gonna be covering them together. We're gonna flow straight from Luke into Acts whenever we're done. But together, they occupy the majority of the New Testament. Did you know that? You guys can go win some uh, trivia questions later on today. Luke and Acts occupy the majority of the New Testament. So when we say like Paul wrote most of the New Testament, we're really talking about most of the different books in the Bible, but Luke wrote the majority of the New Testament. And so you can see like there's a lot to cover here and there's big implications. And so I'm a little bit intimidated as we approach it, but I'm just trusting that Jesus is gonna take care of it as we go through. We're gonna hear his teaching and see what he did and the Holy Spirit's gonna guide us into truth as we, as we go along. It's gonna take nine months and we're gonna go through it. At those nine months, it sounds like a long time. We're actually gonna be going at a breakneck speed in order to cover the book of Luke in nine months. There's some nine months, there's some things that we're gonna see as we go along that you might be reading as we go along. And I hope you will read the book of Luke as we go through this series. Um, you'll see there's some things that we won't even get to cover because there's just so much there. But I hope that over this next nine months that what will happen is together as we're preaching it on Sundays and we're discussing it and praying about it in our community groups and that you're reading it alone in your own personal devotional time, I hope that wherever you are in your walk with Christ, even if you're not a believer yet, that you will fall in love with Jesus as we see him afresh from the pages of the book of Luke. Our goal is over the next nine months to see how the sacrifice of Jesus and the kingship of Jesus, whether we're calling it the cross and crown, why the sacrifice of Jesus and the kingship of Jesus revolutionized the entire world. It still is revolutionizing the world and it revolutionizes every single life it comes in contact with. As we begin this journey together this morning, we're gonna look at four things. This is just an intro to Luke, by the way. So just relax. Just you and me talking about the book of Luke for a few minutes. Number one, we're gonna see how should we approach this book. Secondly, we're gonna see who wrote it. Thirdly, we're gonna see to whom was it written. And then fourthly, we're gonna see why does it matter. How should we approach the book? Who wrote it? To whom was it written? And why does it matter? If you have your Bible, you can open a look. There's one under the chairs there if you wanna grab one. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, you're free to take one of these black Bibles. They're awesome. It's the ESV version, which is the official version of Randy, for whatever that's worth. It's a great, essentially literal translation of the Bible that is easy to read, but yet literal at the same time. Let's look at Luke's opening to his gospel. I'm gonna read it again, the first two verses. Uh, thank you, Daniel, for reading it for us this morning. In as much, by the way, do you guys, I, I, never, I don't really explain too often why we have a separate uh, scripture reading before the sermon, and that's because, uh, honestly, what I have, my theories, if I ever get up here and give you theories, and I can't help but to do that, I try to do that as little as possible, but my theories matter very little, it really has to do with what God has to say in his word. And so we take time before anybody gets up and preaches a sermon just to hear the word proclaimed over us together, to hear what God has to say before anybody else gets up and gives their thoughts and opinions. And if you ever hear anything that I say that's wrong, you can feel free to address me and say it to each other. Like, I want, I want us to be a people who are a people of the book, 
that take it there and not to my opinion or anybody else's opinion. But let's look at verses one and two. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. We'll go ahead and read the rest of it. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the beginning, he starts off there, he's telling us why he's writing this book. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So he's saying that at this time, Luke is writing the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, somewhere between 25 to 40 years after Jesus has died. We think it's somewhere in about the 60s AD, somewhere in that, that period of time. And so he's writing this at the time that many people who saw what happened with Jesus are still alive. You see, one time when Paul was standing in front of uh, King Agrippa and he was telling uh, King Agrippa and Felix and Festus, who were really fun names to say, telling them about what had happened with Jesus, he says, hey, you guys know, King Agrippa, you know these things that I'm talking about because they weren't done in a corner. And that's an interesting thing because I think in society, in modern society today, as Christians, we're given to believe by culture and probably by college and professors that you've had and people on TV, they, they seem to point that if somebody believes in, the, in Christianity, they believe in the Bible, that they believe in sort of a Swiss cheese religion, that, there's, that the Bible is full of holes that aren't really explainable. That the things that Jesus did and uh, things that he said and that he accomplished at the cross and being risen again, that those are just kind of fa- fables and fairy tales and everybody knows that they're not true. That's kind of what's portrayed in, script, in, in uh, our society these days. But the truth is that what happened in the life of Jesus and surrounding the life of Jesus are some of the most recorded, uh, solidly recorded, solidly accounted events in history. And in fact, in ancient history, it may be the most, the life of Jesus may be the most solidly accounted, solidly accounted for historical events. Think about it. Jesus lived in uh, the area of Galilee, in the nation of Israel, which was under Roman rule. He lived there, and at, during his life, during his preaching, he had thousands of followers. So when we hear stories like that he turned the water into wine, and then that he uh, took the one, one little kid's loaf, uh, sorry, one little kid's lunch and took his five loaves and two fish and he turned that into enough food to feed 5,000 men and who knows how many women and children on top of that. That sounds crazy to our modern understanding, but there were thousands of people there. And if it wasn't true, there were thousands of people who could said, hey, look, I was there that day when Jesus taught us in the wilderness, and I know that was not true. He had truckloads of this stuff waiting, on the, uh, waiting on, the, on the side to feed us. Or no, he didn't feed us at all, but no, these stories surrounding how Jesus fed thousands of people, how he raised the dead, how he showed up to his friend Lazarus's funeral when he had been in the grave for three days, commanded him to come forth, and he came forth out of the grave alive there were thousands of people who saw these events happen. Then whenever he was killed, brutally killed on a cross, there were hundreds if not thousands of people who saw the events that happened at the time. And then three days later when he rose again, there were hundreds of people. The Bible tells us that five, over 500 people saw him risen after he had been killed. Now, if you 
go forward just a, a couple of decades ahead and you have Luke who's sitting down writing this account and we think already Mark was in circulation and perhaps Matthew, but right in this time, the gospels are all being written. The people are going across the world declaring what Jesus, who Jesus was and what he had done. That anybody could have at the time who saw that, who knew that this is not true. He didn't appear to these people He didn't do these miracles that he claimed. Anybody could have stepped up and said, no, these things aren't true, but we don't have any record of people saying, I was there and this didn't happen. The people who Paul Paul later on and who Luke during this time says, hey, these people saw Jesus after the resurrection, none of them came back and wrote an account and say, this is not true. Which is incredible because the Jews, the idea that a man would come, be born of a virgin Mary, claimed to be God incarnate, and then would rise again and said that I am God. I am God, both God and man at the same time. That would be repugnant to any Jew at the time. Any Jew at the time would not have said, hey, this seems plausible and I'm gonna go along with it without some sort of proof that this man was truly God. In fact, not only that, not only that were there the hundreds and dozens and thousands of people who saw him do perform miracles, hundreds of people who saw him resurrected, but his own brother and his mother end up worshiping him as God. Now, my mom loves me a lot. But if I get up here one day and I start declaring myself to be the, third, the second person the Godhead, my mom's gonna let you guys know that's not true. If I claim that I am perfect and I've always been perfect, my sisters before my mom, and they're just right in the back, they could hear me. The echo of that float through the hallway and they would run in here and tell you that that is not true. The the story that Luke is accounting here is that he's writing a, a narrative, a historical account of what happened. There are many accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We also give credence to this being like a true like historical account of what happened because it's only 25 or 30 years after this, these events occurred. So I get some flack from my mom and sisters from some of the stories that I tell you guys in here. I, I'm gonna be on and I'm gonna tell you from the bottom of my heart. I have not told you guys a story that I knowingly know is not true from like my childhood, from growing up in the, I grew up in the country and some of the stories that surround that I've told you guys. I, I have not told you any knowing falsehoods. I can honestly tell you that. But they say that I have at times at best, maybe embellished some of the stories. And if I have, I get that honest from my grandfather who who was a great storyteller. And, you know, just like you, to me, and some, sometimes in my opinion, I feel like, you know, you, you have a nice meal and you add a little bit of salt and pepper to it to add a little bit of flavor to it. Maybe there have been times I've added a little bit of salt and pepper to some of the stories I've told you guys just to make it more interesting. But there are some stories that, they, that I have told you guys that they will tell me afterwards is not, in their opinion, are not the way that it happened at all. Now, this is, these are things that happened, what, 25, 30 years ago? They're my basic recollections of the accounts, but they view them differently. Now, if Luke is writing this historical account, if he's supposed to be making this stuff up, there are lots of people who are still alive who could say, that's not the way that it happened. 
Now, it's so long ago now that it's easy for some of us or some people in society to say it's just legend because it happened so long ago. But we forget like these accounts that were written weren't written hundreds of years after it occurred. It was written only a short time after it occurred. And we're gonna see the importance of that going forward here. Look at this interesting phrase that he says, as many have undertaken to compile a narrative um, of the things that have been accomplished among us. Which, by the way, the compile a narrative, uh, just throw this out for you guys. There are, uh, up to this point, we think that Mark, the Gospel of Mark is probably already written, but there are dozens and hundreds of stories, oral stories that have been passed down already in the short 25, 30 years since Jesus uh, lived, died, and was resurrected that Luke is now pulling together. And that's important because people at this time viewed oral history in a different way that you and I view oral history. If you and I, you and I view oral stories as like not being necessarily reliable, we like things to be written, but they, not everybody could read or write at the time. And so when you had passed down stories about your family or your local history, maybe nobody in your family or nobody in your village would be able to read or write. So you would teach your children to recite the oral histories of your family and your village back to you, and then they would teach it to their children. And it was important not to deviate in the slightest as it was passed down so that your history, your story could be preserved. And so people at this time viewed oral history as being very important. It was very important not to make sure that things didn't get messed up. So Luke has oral history at the time to compile from. He has Uh, written histories already that have been written down, including the Gospel of Mark. And then he also has firsthand eyewitness accounts that we're gonna get to in a second of people who saw what had happened with their own eyes that he's able to record. Oral history, written accounts, and then personal interviews with eyewitnesses. Now look at this phrase, the things that have been accomplished among us. It's still soon enough that he could say to the people to whom he's writing, the Theophilus at this point, and the other people who would read this, that these things have been accomplished among us. It's recent history. It's recent enough that I can tell you about it and you know about it. You've heard about it and I'm making sure that it's clear to us. But also it's it's interesting to me this phrase because he, I think he's not just talking about the things that were accomplished among us and the firsthand witnesses and the first generation of Christians who had seen these things and preserved the accounts of them, but he's saying that the, a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us as being whenever you hear the gospel and you believe in the gospel, Something happens in you, in your heart. See, Christianity isn't a religion of creeds that we simply ascribe to. It is a community of people of the burning heart who've experienced the, hearing the gospel and feeling the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and then and through repentance and faith are born again, born anew. Their spirit regenerated and the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in their hearts, in our hearts. Something miraculous happens. You are born again into a new family. And so as Christians, we we don't just simply learn and ascribe to creeds, but we become a believer and then we learn about the family to which we've been born into. Think about it. 
whenever you were born into whatever family, and let's just be honest, we don't get to choose which family we're born into. There are some, some of us, like, we're really proud of our families, or maybe just parts of our families, and some of them we're not so proud about. Maybe you're not proud of any of your family, but it's your family history nonetheless. But let's just imagine whatever your history is, let's imagine you were born into a family of great means. Let's say you were born into the Gates family or the Walton family. And your dad or granddad was a billionaire and he left billions to you. He founded a company or she founded a company and they left an estate and a story and a fortune to you. And you're born into that family, you're gonna spend your life discovering what it means to be born into that family and all the rights and privileges that come along with it. You don't know it. When that, that, you see that, that child, that baby that's held by that, that person, they have no idea what kind of rights and privileges they're born into. And that's what you and I are like when we first become believers. You know something has happened. You've been given life, but you don't yet know the ins and outs of what has happened, what has transpired to get you to this point. You don't know exactly the depth of who your father is, your heavenly father is, and what rights and privileges that you have access to as his child. And the Christian life is spent learning what rights and privileges we have been given access to as children of the king. So he's writing to let us know these things that have been accomplished in your heart, it has a anchor that's in history. Who from the very beginning, with the rest of, uh, in verse two, who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. He's giving us an account of things that people actually saw and experienced in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So as we approach the book of Luke this year, If you're a believer in Christ, let's approach it as a child of the king who's learning what the rights and privileges that we have access to. Let's let's approach it as a people learning our common history as a family and what our older brother Jesus Christ did and said and accomplished for us on our behalf. And if you're an unbeliever, whether you're a skeptic or You've never been a believer, you grew up in Christianity and you're not really sure about what your stance is now. I invite you to hang out with us and enjoy the process of hearing firsthand from the words, from the mouth of Jesus, what he said and seeing maybe freshly what he did. And let's just be okay to own some doubts as we're together here. You can feel free to belong before you believe with us in our midst. Let's run through this. Let's see who wrote this book. First of all, it was a guy named Luke, which makes sense because it's named after him, right? But he doesn't tell us in the first, in the, and when he starts out, who, who wrote the book. But it's really out of the, some of the books of the Bible, we're not really sure who wrote it. Book of Hebrews included in that. But Luke, nobody has ever really held in question whether 
It was actually a guy named Luke who wrote it. It's really never been in question. First of all, Luke was a Gentile. He was not born a Hebrew. He was not born a Jew. Uh, he didn't have any background. So you see the, the book of Ma- the Gospel of Matthew is written to people who have a Jewish background. Uh, the book of John is written to people we think who, ha- who are Greeks. But the book of Luke was written by a Gentile and it was written to Gentiles, people who don't have a background in the Jewish religion, who didn't know uh, about the, the coming Messiah and the sacrificial, uh, uh, the whole sacrificial system that the Jewish society had in place. They didn't know about any of those things. And so if you come in here and you're like, hey, I didn't grow up a Christian or I don't have any background as a Christian, I'm not even sure what the book of Luke is. Hey, it's a great book for you to read and be hanging out with us through because Luke had no background, no religious background before he became a Christian. Secondly, we know that Luke was a doctor. In Colossians 4, 4, 4.14, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Luke was a doctor, which is important for us to think about because, again, Christianity has kind of gotten a rap that it's uh, for the uneducated, it's for the people who aren't critical thinkers, for the people who want to check their brain at the door and don't want to think hard or uh, subject to the Bible or what they believe to criticism or to uh, logic. But that's not true. Christianity itself is a very logical and a beautiful system. And Luke was a physician. He was an educated man at his time. But many of the early believers, frankly, were slaves and the poor and uneducated. But Luke was a physician. He was a doctor who approached Christianity, as we see, approached the book of Luke in, in his own thinking about who Jesus was. Then when he's compiling a history, he thought about it with a critical eye of somebody who was educated. Luke became a believer, thirdly. He didn't start as one. I think there's this common thought in America today that uh, if you're a Christian, you sort of are born into it. You, I'm, you, know, I, you come from a Christian background or a Christian family, like it's, like it's uh, you know, like, uh, like you're Greek or you're a part Native American or you're whatever ethnicity or background you happen to be, you happen to be a Christian because you're born into a Christian family, but Luke didn't begin as a believer. He became a believer. Next, we know that Luke was a part of Paul's ministry team. And Philemon, uh, Paul says, calls Luke and Mark and Demas and Aristarchus his fellow workers. We see in the, the book of Acts, which also, again, that's the second part of this Luke-Acts uh, book kind of together. It's kind of like really one book in two parts. We see that Luke is telling, as he proceeds in the story about Paul, he keeps saying, hey, we went here and then we did this and then we did this because he was along with Paul for the ride. They were on a ministry team together. And then we see that Luke was faithful. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. So Luke was a faithful minister. He's a faithful believer. He stuck with Paul, even when things got tough. I like this part. Luke, we think, may have been a natural cynic. Maybe his educated background, maybe this is just personality, maybe whatever, whatever reasons that we get, we, we get the feeling from the way he start, starts with the book saying, hey, other people have compiled these stories, but I wanted to come together and compile an orderly account of what had happened. Like Luke's saying, hey, look, uh, we've heard all these stories. 
Theophilus, but I wanted to know like what is actually true. And so I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to not take anything at face value. I wanted to, if that person was still living and he traveled a lot with Paul, I wanted to talk to that person. I wanted to read the accounts. I wanted to double check every story that I hear to make sure that we have an orderly account of what happened. He's a sort of a natural cynic. And if you're put on the hook that way, you don't have to check your brain at the door as a Christian. Like, welcome to Christianity. It's a place for cynics. I'm a natural cynic. It drives Megan crazy. Uh, even like, I love her. I trust what her what she has to say, but for some reason, if I don't watch myself, she'll come to me and say, hey, so-and-so happened, and I'll say, are you sure? Or I'll, you are like, or I'll have to go and see it for myself because I am just, I don't know why, I'm, I'm just a natural cynic. I tend not to take, take things at face value, and Luke, we think, was kind of that kind of guy. Also, we see Luke was careful, and the way that he puts together the book of Luke is the most chronological gospel that we have. Some of the gospels kind of uh, skip around in the chronology of the life of Jesus. Luke is the closest thing that follows chronologically the story of Jesus. He was careful in his sources. He was careful in the way that he wrote it down. Uh, the, the Greek here, I'm not a Greek scholar, but the Greek here, I'm told, is, uh, is of the highest order. It's very thoughtful. It's very educated in the way that he lays it out. He was very careful in what he laid out. At this point, I kind of think of Luke, and if you've met him, if you don't know him, then that's okay, but I kind of think of Luke as sort of, I picture Dale. So, so, so Luke is, is a smart guy. He's educated in the medical profession. Dale is a pharmacist. Uh, he's a doctor of pharmacy. Do you know that? Like, like if you're a pharmacist, you're a doctor. Like, you, we should really be calling him Dr. Dale as well, but I'm not going to do that. But we should call him Dr. Dale. He's very educated. He's from a, he's from a medical background. Dale tends to be somewhat cynical. I think that's why we kind of get along at times. Uh, Dale's not going to take a story at, at first, at just your first telling of the story. He's gonna probe in there and make sure it's true. He's gonna pick around and see if there's any fallacies in your argument. Uh, but yet also, just like Luke it was, whenever he became convinced of the truth, of the veracity of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Luke was a faithful member of Paul's team, and Dale's kind of like that. Like whenever he came around, Dale's just kind of going to grind it out. Whether things are going well, whether everybody uh, uh, departed from Saul and left him alone, Luke stayed there, and I can, I can see Dale. Dale would just be sticking there. So as we read through the book of Luke, uh, whether or not it's historically accurate, you can picture Dale. I'm going to picture Dale as we go along telling this story of what happened in the life of Jesus. Look at what he says. He says, it seemed, verse three, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you. What he's saying is I didn't just take these stories for granted. I didn't take them at face value. I personally verified every account I, I could personally verify. I got to the source as often as I possibly could because I didn't wanna base my faith on just old wives' tales, and I didn't want to pass down to you, Theophilus, something that's not true. I wanted to write, verse three, an orderly account. This is a big deal for Luke. He wanted a fairly exhaustive, reliable account of the life of Jesus. Let's look real quickly to whom was this book written. He says it was, uh, it was written to the most excellent Theophilus, who we think was a Gentile himself. He didn't have a background in uh, 
in the Jewish religion. He didn't have a background in Christianity before this. We think it's possible that he may have been a Roman official because whenever uh, Luke says most excellent Theophilus, the other times that we have that in the New Testament, it is somebody who's uh, referring to somebody who's in an official capacity. So it may have been, we don't know for certain, it may have been a Roman official to whom he's addressing this story. So you can see why Theophilus would need an uh, a reliable account. He's a Gentile. He's a Roman official. In the, in the Roman Empire, they worship Caesar as God. And so for, Christian to, for somebody to say, I'm becoming a Christian, you're saying, I'm not gonna any longer worship Caesar as God. I'm worshiping this Jesus as the one true God. And you better know, if you're gonna do that, you better know that you got your facts in order. It was written to an educated person, it appears, from an educated person, And it was written possibly to another skeptic. Hey, if you're a skeptic, we're glad you're here. Sunday mornings, community groups are a great place for you to hang out. Ask questions. Be a skeptic. Listen to the word over time and see if it finds a place in your heart. And we think it was probably written to a new believer. So if you're a new believer, if you're not sure about even where you stand in Christianity, this is a great book for you to be hanging out in. The Luke-Acts books were written to a people who lived in a world divided among Jew and Gentile, uh, Roman, barbarian. There were many divisions inside the the Roman Empire, and it shows us that the only hope that exists to bring a fractious world together is through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We see that inaugurated in Luke, and we see it start to get rolled out in the book of Acts how alone Jesus Christ can bring a fractious world together. And I don't know about you, but I think we live in a fractious world right now. Why does this book matter? He tells us at the end. Most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. It's interesting to me that, first of all, that Paul, sorry, that Luke is acknowledging to Theophilus that it's okay to want certainty, to be certain about the truths of the gospel. But it's also interesting to me that he's writing to somebody that he already says at the end there that concerning the things that you have been taught. So Theophilus has already been taught the gospel. He's already heard the stories surrounding Jesus' life. Why would he need to hear from Luke anything regarding certainty? Where where would that certainty come from? Is it an airtight defense for the existence of God? Look, as reliable as the book of Luke is, as reliable as the Bible is, it's not an airtight defense of the existence of God. The existence of God and that Jesus was the God-man cannot be scientifically proven or disproven to you or I. That's because the proof and the certainty that God is God and Jesus has come to save you and me and is the Lord of creation and heaven is, lies in the person of Jesus, Our certainty relies in the person of Jesus.
The, certain, the certainty for Christianity lies in the person of Jesus himself. Not in the arguments that we try to prove things, but in Jesus Christ. So that's why Luke is able to give us certainty. Because when we hear, we see what happened with Jesus, we hear his teachings, we see his death, burial, and resurrection accounted for, the person of Jesus and his marriage of bringing together the holiness of God and yet his payment for our sins and seeing the love of God and yet the, the wrath against sin and seeing his care for the poor and seeing the, how he cried whenever he saw suffering. When we see the beauty of the person of Jesus, that's our certainty of the claims of Christianity. We're gonna see that Jesus is God and the rightful king. We're gonna see that what Jesus said was true regarding himself and the Father and our sinfulness and our hope. We're gonna see that what Jesus did was true. His birth, his life, his death, his burial, his burial and resurrection. And we're gonna see that what Jesus said about the origin of this world, that it was created by God, for God at the ending of this world that he's gonna wrap all things up to himself and he's gonna return again as the returning king is true. And that result is gonna be that we're gonna be edified and encouraged. We're gonna find certainty, not based simply in arguments, but based in the person of Jesus, who he was and what he did for us. I'm looking forward to this journey and hope that you are too. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.